you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this extra special podcast episode of the Win Win Podcast, which we created with our incredible sponsors and friends over at Rocked. Rocked is an e-commerce technology company that powers the transaction moment. As we are all e-commerce customers, I'm sure you can relate to wanting better shopping experiences on the internet. And Rocked is all about unlocking the ways that they can improve and make experiences more relevant and personalized at the time of those transactions. They work with some of the world's most famous enterprises such as Salesforce, Yelp, and Domino's, and companies that are rapidly growing and expanding their markets. Rocked is a company that really embeds innovation and gender equality in their DNA. And we will hear from Elizabeth Buchanan, who is their chief commercial officer, talk about this throughout the episode. She is such a rock star, and even throughout COVID, she proved to be a truly empathetic leader when she was transparent about needing to reduce her capacity at work in order to be able to take care of her family and also be an effective leader throughout the pandemic. And boy, was she effective. Rocked still saw growth year over year from 2019 to 2020, and as a lot of the categories and verticals which they service really come back to full capacity, they're seeing the continued boom in e-commerce and continued opportunities for disruption. It's really exciting to see such a seasoned leader on the podcast share her experience, and I love that Rocked bridges the humanity and benefits of technology in the e-commerce industry as we could definitely use it. It's also really exciting that they are using this opportunity to continue building up women within their community, within their company, and of course, as an organization, that's something that we 100% stand behind. So I hope you enjoy today's episode and definitely check out all the amazing opportunities that are open at Rock. They are hiring a ton and we would really love to see more women innovating in that company. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This was such a long time coming and I have so many things to ask you, so it'll be a lot of fun. So let's start a little bit with your background. You lead strategy and execution at Rocked as chief commercial officer and Rocked is an e-commerce technology company which aims to make e-commerce experience faster, more relevant, more efficient. And we'll of course get into all of that. But before we get into that, Let's go back to your roots, which are largely in the advertising industry. So what first drew you into the likes of agencies like YNR, Saatchi and Saatchi, OMD, and WPP? It was actually a complete fluke. So I was at <laughs> university or college, as you would call it, um, in North America, and I was actually studying law and uh, communications. I actually thought I wanted to be a journalist. And I took a gap year, uh, which is a year out of 
university and went traveling around Europe and ended up in London and by complete accident ended up with a job at Saatchi and Saatchi because I could type and they were looking for <laughs> typists. Thankfully, my typing was uh, about 60 words per minute, which meant that I wasn't good enough to go in the typing pool. This is how old I am. There was actually a huge, great room where people would just type all day and, and bring in um, handwritten notes and turn it into documents for everyone across the agency. But I was fast enough that they felt I could be an efficient kind of support or account exec or fill in EA. And so I basically moved around the business and it was this brilliant internship of a kind where I would work for the creative director as his EA for three months and then I would go to the retouching studio and work as an assistant in the team and it was a 24-hour studio of retouching photography. And then I would move into the account management team and I worked on the British Airways account in the Mm. account management team and I had this incredible incredible experience, very lucky to end up in such a place and such an incredible agency of um, the time and and still to this day. They even had a pub in the middle of the block uh, at Charlotte Street in London called The Pregnant Man, which was one of their most famous advertising campaigns. And it was literally a two-story pub that everyone went to for lunch and would have a beer and a sandwich um, and it was provided for you back before that was kind of tech common. So it was incredible year. And when I went back to Sydney to go back to university, I was like, oh, you know what, that was actually really fun. And (laughs) I'm not so sure I want to go back and learn all about law. So I sent out three resumes, literally three, it was kind of my way of testing fate. And I thought, if I get one job, I'll take it. And I won't go back and finish law. And I knew my parents would be heartbroken, but I thought I'll just see if this works. And of course, I was really young and and had no idea um, that the experience of 12 months, actually it was longer than 12, you know, almost 18 months at such and such in London was incredibly highly regarded. And um, mm-hmm. and I actually got two job offers out of three. So wow. I, I, I got to choose and I chose to move into media. So I had been exposed to parts of media at, at Saatchi's, but they were a creative agency, but I'd seen the collaboration on the British Airways account and I loved the mix of the analytics and uh, psychology of it. So the fact that you could really try and understand how someone would respond to a message and when they might respond to that message and what would be the best format for them to have a response from. Um, and I really loved that combination of data and kind of creativity and that's where I ended up so I ended up at um, media agencies in Australia and loved that work for many years I mean first of all the pregnant man sounds like the original we work I think what's actually unique about marketing and advertising specifically is that there are a lot of women in the industry and actually very prominent women that are leaders at those very prominent companies so was gender consideration or something that felt limiting perhaps then? Or, you know, you had so many, I'm guessing, women role models and potentially paths to follow. So how did that play at that point? I think uh, for me, it actually was a very male-dominated industry, as is technology, uh, where I, I focus now. And and of also when I transitioned from advertising into digital, when I moved to Yahoo, um, many moons ago, 25 years ago or something, 
it too was dominated by men at the top. And so I think it's always been something that I've had to get comfortable with being one of the few women in the room, if usually at those points in my career, the only woman in the room. And I went through a whole journey of trying to work out um, if I needed to replicate those in the room and become more male and to be able to be taken seriously or or which parts of my femininity or, or, you know, sense of self could I be more honest about in a way that could still be effective for me professionally. And it was a real journey and even down to the way that I would dress and the way that I would think about turning up on time or late or everything I actually did really think about as elements of how I would appear to those around me on the table and how would I make sure that I was being treated as equally as possible. And so it's been something that thankfully in later in my career has become, you know, it, it's become so, we've all become so self-aware that I think we're all working really hard to ensure all kinds of diversity are at every, ty- every type of table. Uh, however, in the tech company, tech industry it still remains a challenge and I'm really proud at Rocked that we've now got 50-50 female male at the executive team level. That is incredibly unusual and it's partly because a lot of women aren't yet at that level in that industry because they're from the very early days of STEM in elementary school being encouraged to not consider it something that they should follow in their career trajectory and it when it's so systemic through every part of education and every part of an industry that it's not welcoming to women, it's very hard then to find women at senior levels in those industries. And I think we feel a real sense of obligation to both show up for our team here at Rocked every day to support the women in our own organisation, but to do much more than that and, and to show up in the industries and the communities as early in that kind of trajectory as we can so that that career journey for women and and for other members of diverse um, factors that we we really want to support the change that we want to see and it does take time it does take time and it takes women being able to see other women at those levels and and some of the kind of really tangible ways we do that is you know, very purposely planning things like our recruitment process so that through the process for any engineer, which is tends to be very male-dominated um, industry, they do meet females at Rocked in their recruitment journey so that they're clear both that this is an environment they'll need to be very um, supportive and respectful of women, but then for the female candidates, it's also reassuring that, yes, you will see other people like you in the business and in the rooms that you join. And so we do all kinds of purposeful things, both in supporting community and running meetups and, and you know, even charitable donations to organisations really trying to change that and and indeed, actually, I was at my daughter's graduation last night, and um, she's going into a STEM career as a chemical engineer. So even in That's our own amazing, family, yeah, <laughs> making sure that that we we really support women seeing STEM careers and STEM um, jobs being super exciting and and absolutely um, possible for them. I think many of the things that you mentioned have a lot to do with building that kind of trajectory into the DNA, whether it's the DNA of your daughter, quite literally, uh, or the DNA of the company at which you are uh, chief commercial officer. Do you think that this kind of 
result of the 50-50 split and the, the real openness and encouragement of women in STEM joining Rocked actually comes from the fact that the company is still a startup. And so this kind of approach to STEM and diversity is embedded into it. I, I think it's it needs to be purposeful really is the short answer. And and as a company now that's going to probably hit uh, 200 million in revenue this year, eight years, nine years old, you know, we're probably at that later phase of that startup yeah. journey anyway. We, we, we don't really um, call ourselves a startup anymore. But even when we were a startup compared to today as a, you know, 350 person, $200 million revenue business, it is purely about being purposeful. So at mm-hmm. every point in time, how do we ensure the workplace is a safe and happy place for all members of our community? How do we ensure it's a welcoming place for new candidates of all kinds of diverse communities? And and how do we show up to ensure that in other places around us, I suppose? It's with purpose and it's, it's being self-aware Um, We certainly don't always get it right. It's also being human and acknowledging when we don't get it right. Um, But it's it's little things like I kicked off late last year um, a program where I just actively reached out to every female in our research and development team, so our engineer and product team, and got half an hour with each of them with absolutely no agenda on, on the meeting. And just to check in is, are you feeling safe? Is it working? What are the things that we're doing to support you um, in our team that are effective or not effective? And the the stories are wonderful. Some of them are like, I don't even know why you're talking to me. I'm just one of the team. I don't even see myself as female or different or right. I, don't, I don't worry if I'm only female in a room of 10. You know, I don't worry about it. Um, and then other women are like, I, I'm so self-conscious of being a woman in our particular pod in, in the business that is, you know, there's only two females to eight other men. I'm really sensitive to that and really would like to put my hand up to help improve that and how can we do more outreach and how do we build more meetups. And and so it really depends on the individual in the team and how they're all feeling. Right. But as a leader, it's about how do we ensure we meet all the minimum requirements, which is mm-hmm. safe, equal. And one of the things we did, I think it was like October 2019, uh, was, again, purposefully making every person in the business feel equal. We built a product, a document called a career ladder, which shares every role and salary in the business and the responsibilities and the requirements for success of each of those roles. And we did that because we wanted to ensure that one of our core cultural kind of tenants being transparency is held in every part of the business, not just in conversation when we talk about values, but actually mm-hmm. in how we live and breathe as a business. And by at first it was a little uncomfortable for a lot of people in the business having everyone else in, and it took us a little time to get everyone aligned to all those correct levels that we'd obviously looked in market and made sure that we were very competitive and, and at the higher end of each um, kind of band level for each role. But over time and very quickly, everyone in the business realised it actually took away the need to even talk about it anymore. No one ever needed to think about, am I earning more than the person next to me or less? Are they a better negotiator of salary? Because I'm a female, am I getting less? You know, there's a lot of tech companies who are now reporting on this publicly um, because they're admitting that, yes, there are differences in their gender pay and they're trying to work on it. Well, in our company, there's no difference because it's published. And if you're on that salary, if you're on that, um, in that role, that's the salary you are paid. Um, right. And it's it's wonderful to be a leader now in a business where I can create the change 
that I always wanted to see when I was an employee. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very distinct from everything else that's happening in the industry. And I think it actually caters to something that you talked about earlier, right? It's like, there's one way to approach it where should I be more like a male in order to succeed? Or should I highlight more of the fact that I am a woman and I think of myself as a woman on a team? And when you're actually removing gender out of the conversation in a conversation where perhaps it doesn't belong, like salaries, and I think you're really, really solving for that. But I think to dive a little deeper in that specific notion, you said that you you kind of took the route of maybe being acting more male or or trying to model after those male peers. Now in your career, how do you think about that? Do you have regrets about that? Do you think that women should be actively speaking out about the fact that they are perhaps an only in the room um, or just avoiding the conversation of gender altogether? Uh, it's a really great question. And I think in general, what I what I think we should celebrate is that we are all different um, in, and not just in gender or, or race or um, sexuality, sure. you know, it, it's, it's everything. Right. And, and I used to do it because it felt like it was the only way to get ahead. And what I'm mm-hmm. excited about, at least in, in the markets that I work in like um, EMEA and, and London and Sydney and America is I think now you can be and I can be, it used to be only if you were very senior that you got the opportunity to be more yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what I think we're building companies to do, and certainly this is what we're building Rock to do, is support everyone to be themselves all the time. And, in fact, I was in a meeting last week with someone who um, felt so strongly about a situation that she was teary and she said, oh, Elizabeth, I'm so sorry, I don't mean to be teary. And I said, please don't apologize for that. What I, I celebrate that because you're showing me that this matters to you. Mm-hmm. And, and so please don't apologize for, for feeling that this matters to you because that is a wonderful quality about how you think about your work. And I think more and more that is true. And certainly I'm trying to build a culture where that's very welcomed, that no matter what you wear, no matter you know who you are or how you want to show up or how you want to show how much you care about your job because your body responds in that moment to show mm-hmm. it in that way, um, we will welcome and celebrate that. And I think the work that I've been doing with one of my charities, actually, which is called Vital Voices Global Partnership, it's all about female empowerment around the world. And what I think the research we've done as Vital Voices has shown that women are different. And and the differences, you know, and there's a lot of research around this, the differences are very powerful when you've got mm-hmm. three or more women on a board and it's not two because that can be um, helpful and it's a good start, but it's when you start to grow more and more women on, around the table and like our executive team table, it changes much more substantially the conversation. It becomes a much more healthy um, conversation about the things that women will think about first because they're women. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those can sometimes be um, the work around Vital Voices is we've found that women tend to be more community-focused, like how is this not just going to affect me, the company, the customer, but also our community? How Mm -hmm. does this affect the world that we live in? And those kinds of um, values are not just important uh, to them, the men find them important too. It's just who gets to them first potentially in a conversation. Right. And so how women lead and how women think can bring an incredible amount of value and absolutely does bring, it's proven, you know, those businesses will earn more and be more productive and be more effective both in their profitability 
you know, their profitable endeavours and also in their sense of, you know, CSR or ESG or whatever you want to call it. You know, women bring a lot of value to all aspects. And yet, unfortunately, we're not seeing many women on boards. I think that that specific board level is missing a lot of women. And I know that there's a lot of work being done in the NASDAQ to ensure that companies are actually setting those standards and companies are actually delivering on their promise of having a diverse board. You are a member of, of m- many boards. So how do you think you were able to overcome those challenges? And what would you say to women that maybe didn't even think that they could get on a board. How can they do it? What has your experience with it been? Yeah, what's wonderful is just like uh, VC investment in female founders um, in the kind of startup world, uh, the same is happening in in the boardroom, right? So it's not okay anymore. And um, the boards are being, some are being pushed out, some are being very proactive, but across all industries, I've certainly seen a massive increase in interest in smart women joining boards. And certainly I've had a lot more outreach than I've ever had. And maybe partly because I've now been on a couple of boards for a while. I do think it's, it's a groundswell of change in a positive way. It just takes a bit of time sometimes for those boards to turn around different seats, right? Because people do a certain period of time usually on each board. But when mm-hmm. they when they are opening up seats, we're seeing much greater increase in diversity and much more active criticism from investors and the market if they don't. Uh, so I think that's wonderful and healthy. And I think there'll be a lot of positive change in those businesses as a result, because certainly that's what the research shows happens. The other part of your question was, how can women get more involved? There's actually this great organisation called theboardlist.com, which is one of many. Um, Sekinda, who who used to be a client at uh, StubHub, was one of the founders at The Boardlist. And it's a wonderful way of women actually um, registering. um, And they're opening it up to not just about gender, but all kinds of diversity. And then for boards who are actively um, looking to fill a seat or have a seat coming up to be filled, they can go and uh, research about different women and different diverse potential board members and their experience and be quite specific in the requirements they have. Like you might be looking for someone with CFO or financial services or you might be looking for someone who's built a startup to an IPO, et cetera, et cetera. And certainly I've seen a lot of activity in there and and, um, I think it's wonderful that those kinds of initiatives are now available for women to find and become part of. Wow, I, I had no idea. That's that's a great tip and very tangible. So Elizabeth, I'd love to switch gears a little and talk about Rocked, which we mentioned is is not really even a startup at this point as it's been around for eight or nine years and has this incredible incredible amount of revenue and a lot of employees. So how did you find Rocked and, and what excited you about joining it? Well, I was actually there when the founding team came together. Mm. Yeah, so we, there was another business that existed called Rock Live. um, And my husband, who's the CEO of Rocked, and I met with that team and saw that there was an opportunity in one of their products to build off of for an idea that Bruce uh, had had for many, many years when he was the CEO of one of the largest airlines in APAC called Jetstar. It's a low-cost airline, kind of like the southwest of APAC. Mm -hmm. And when he built that airline, he had wanted to optimize the ancillary revenue. You know, like when you buy a low-cost airline seat, you know, mm-hmm. you know they're going to try and ask if you want the food or the upgrade of the seat or all the things that help them make that seat 
profitable because actually the ticket cost doesn't make most of those airlines any money. And so that match of the ancillary revenue is incredibly important. And when Bruce was looking at the market, he was like, surely there's a technology out there that can help me make sure I'm not just putting a stagnant offer in front of each customer, but actually predicting what each customer might be most likely to respond to whether they're a net new customer or indeed actually, of course, even more importantly, if they're a repeat customer, you should know what they're more likely to respond to. But there was no technology in the marketplace to help deliver on that challenge or solve that problem. And so that had sparked in him that idea at the back of his mind. And so when we uh, met with this company, um, that was what we saw as the potential. And so we reformed the company in effect as Rocked and set off on the journey that we've since been on to solve that challenge uh, to make e-commerce smarter, faster and better. And it ultimately turns into a very positive thing for the consumer because they get a more relevant experience. Like if you're not going to buy that particular product, you know, you don't want it in the transaction experience every time taking over a third of the page. You, You know, it's kind of like, duh, I've seen you before. You should know by now I'm not going to buy that. But indeed, if you do unlock that opportunity to something I'm more likely to buy, not only will you get more money from me, but you'll also have a happier customer. And so that win-win is, is our sweet spot. And we, we focus just in that transaction moment, we call it, because we know that that is when the rubber hits the road or the you know, credit card is out of the wallet. And, and that's where really the opportune money-making moment is for an e-commerce business. And I think having that singular vision is actually a very clear value proposition that is very much needed in this industry. But as a B2B e-commerce company, what are some of the trends or the pain points that you're really interested in exploring outside of some of the existing products that you've had or generally trends that you are uh, keeping your pulse on? Yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the things we're really excited about as we look forward this year and beyond, um, at the moment we have been very enterprise focused. So we work with a huge number of very high profile enterprise brands, which is exciting because they're high volume transaction websites and we can really make a big difference in supporting their objectives. What we're looking at, though, is we've launched just a couple of months ago a Shopify integration. Uh, We will then be looking at WooCommerce and BigCommerce and some of those small business platforms, although sometimes there's stores on there that aren't even small business anymore, Mm -hmm. large businesses using Shopify's back end and checkout experience. And we're looking at how we deploy the same uh, solutions but in a self-serve, you know, easy-to-deploy way. And that for us is interesting internally because it changes how we support those clients. They're very different in profile, of course, to our enterprise clients who we have white glove service for. But we see huge revenue potential um, for those merchants that we unlock uh, opportunity for and, of course, uh, for us in in growing our expansion to um, smaller merchant space. So we're excited about that. We're also, we have been international in, in a number of markets for a long time. We've been in Japan for a few years. We've got offices in Singapore and, and Auckland, but we're, we're really expanding much more across the mayor now as well. So London and, and beyond is a big focus for us. And the other area that we're focused is what we call distributed commerce. So 
increasing opportunities like co-brand credit cards and insurance and even payment types. You know, you've probably gone shopping recently and seen Klarna and Venmo and PayPal and Afterpay and all these different options which can become really hard for an e-commerce store to manage because they don't want to have to show everything necessarily and and maybe you're a member of one of those and if they don't show that one you know you don't really want to sign up for another one or maybe you do and actually that's an opportunity so there's all of this noise starting to happen around lots of customer options and we see opportunity for our technology to help solve the decision on which one should be shown in each moment for each customer. Um, And so we see lots of opportunity there to help e-commerce businesses solve that challenge. So, so interesting and unique. And I I work in in the payment space. So I think these are all problems that I think we're all racing to kind of solve and really exciting to see what Rock does with that. But you mentioned earlier that some of your bigger clients were Ticketmaster. I know that you also support Live Nation. And so, you know, We had a pandemic last year, which meant that some of these industries were unbelievably affected. What was your response to the crisis and how else did you find Rock to be useful for some other types of clients that you perhaps maybe didn't even consider before the pandemic, especially as e-commerce was absolutely booming, actually? It's really interesting to reflect on now, especially as we all take our masks off most of the time, most of the day now. It feels almost a little surreal, like we lived some strange movie together or something. But when I think back to those early days of March in 2020, it was really frightening initially for us. Um, We saw ticketing and travel, which were two of our very big verticals because, of course, they're very high transaction volume categories, which is our sweet spot. We saw them pretty much disappear overnight. Um, Right. So, of course, firstly, we were worried for our partners, um, many of whom are very solid and sound businesses. So we knew that they would likely be okay, but, you know, we did, no one knew how long this was going to go on for. And we saw about six, 65% of rocked turn off effectively wow. that, that kind of week or two. But what we had been doing for some time, we've been in the U.S. for about I think it must be five or six years now, we had already been pivoting, like we're a building, growing company. We had already been working a lot more in retail. We'd been looking at a lot more in FinServe and we'd been working a lot more in all these new verticals. And a lot of that groundwork had already been happening so that when we needed to pivot in 2020 and really dial up our partners across those other categories, we were able to. We were already having active conversations. And we also saw that their interest in us increased you know, significantly because now they didn't have foot traffic in their stores, how much they were able to make in each transaction online became more important than ever. This was going to keep people's jobs. This was, you know, kind of very more important revenue than it had ever been before. And so our sales cycle, which is usually um, much longer for technology because we're in, a, in e-commerce, so people want to really make sure that they want to partner with us and that we tick all the boxes, which of course we do, but that just takes time for organisations sure. to work through that process. Suddenly they were, they were acting much faster and we saw some of our partners, you know, from first conversation to live onboarded, you know, six weeks uh, where that would normally take months and months. And that is because everyone needed e-commerce to be more effective than ever. And that acceleration for Rocked has just continued. E-commerce has certainly now become part of even the most resistant consumer 
pre-COVID now has likely been buying online more regularly and, and they may obviously now switch back to a mix, but they will likely all the data and research is showing and certainly the behaviour we're seeing is that it is a new change in behaviour. Everyone's enjoying, you know, curbside pickup, these things that are new in e-commerce and everyone's now buying more online. So the future for Rocked is bright. As you mentioned, the acceleration that happened on the enterprise level, I think definitely happened for regular people who never saw themselves buying commodities on the internet and and they kind of had no choice, right? So I think it's it's really interesting, the consumer behavior, both across the business, but as well as on a consumer level. So Elizabeth, before I do let you go, I'd love to ask you to look into the crystal ball and ask you where you see yourself and the industry going one month from now one year from now and 10 years from now? One month from now will be much more ticketing. So the fascinating thing is we were just talking about ticketing. Um, Everyone wants to get out and about. So the ticketing and travel category has come back in, you know, stronger than ever. And so that's exciting for the upcoming month. Uh, The slightly longer term, I think it'll be interesting to see how much of that behaviour settles back into in-store versus online. But my crystal ball or my prediction (laughs) as Elizabeth Buchanan is that there'll be more and more e-commerce. I don't think that's a change um, that anyone would be surprised to hear me predict. And I'm excited about seeing how much all of the merchants are really trying to expand their relevancy and customer engagement activity. So I think customers are going to be these really amazing winners. You and I as consumers are going to be the winners because we're going to get more and more closer to the brands that we love and we're going to have richer experiences from them because they're all really focused on that digital engagement and how do they replicate the experience of in-store for the increasingly online shopper. Uh, In 10 years, goodness me, I think about my eight-year-old for 10 years away Mm. and I think when he's 18, the way that he'll be shopping is something I'm not even sure I can try and predict or have a crystal ball on. I think it will be so easy to be purchasing things that he has not even himself thought he needs or wants yet, but that the brilliance of the AI and machine learning will be able to identify a tiny little brand in the, you know, in the outskirts of Sweden that makes a particular kind of T-shirt with a particular kind of cotton that the machine learning knows is his favourite and that the colour and the combination of that experience of that particular product will be matched to him. And so I think the beauty of that kind of future is that it celebrates you know, many, many more merchants being successful because they can, you know, be in the mix of selection that truly then provides that individual, you know, kind of quality. I think customers do want when they purchase to feel like they are, you know, unique. And so I think although there's been a swell in the early stages of all of this e-commerce into more of the same I think the power of machine learning and AI will be actually how it then further distributes to more individualization and and uniqueness in how we shop. Such an incredible way to look about it. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what ends up happening. Thank you so much for your time today, Elizabeth. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. So lovely to see you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, 
Zoya Kozakoff. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.